Hi, Brendan. Hey, how are you? <laughs> a little clumsy today. It's March the 20th, 2013. This is 508, a show about Worcester. My name is Michael Benedetti. I'm here with Mr. Brendan Melican. Good Hi. to see you again. Good to see you again, too. This is a show. Every week we talk about things in the city of Worcester. This is our first show in a while where we don't have guests. We don't have... Nobody wants to hang out with us anymore. Nobody wants to be here. Nothing complicated is happening on this episode of the 508 show. It should be pretty straightforward. We're going to talk about some stuff, possible topics for today's show, panhandling the Pope, the future of journalism, the Iraq war, casinos, food carts, and snow. Um, we're going to talk about if any of this stuff to the extent we can get connected to Worcester. I guess we'll talk about it. You should Brent? probably tell people that that, that that is the happy birthday Mike Leslie squid that the audience well, was just birthed out of, right? This, well, this is a – Jacob Brindes, I believe, the story goes, made three squids. Oh. One of them used to hang at HBML yep. and now is somewhere else. One of them, I think, is somewhere in Providence. Okay. I think. And then this is the third. Wow. Hanging nice here way. from the ceiling of the HX library. It's pretty impressive. Brendan, we're number one. We're number one. News came out today. Uh, the Boston.com reports that Worcester, Massachusetts has received the highest snowfall total for the entirety of the United States this year 108.9 inches. Hmm. It's amazing. Who's number two? Uh, Syracuse, New York, uh, mid-90s, uh, 96 point something, I believe. They're not even trying. What is no, that? Crush them. Crush them. So, it's all been summer. So now this has been a year like many years where um, our Department of Public Works has complained that they sort of run out of snow, snow running low on their snow money at least, or, or mm. out of money for dealing with the snow issues. Um, I feel like this happens every year. But this year, we're number one. This year, I feel like there's a payoff. Are we marketing ourselves around this? Oh, well, the news just came out this afternoon. I'm... I'm Sure, the uh, marketing department of the city is a destination of Worcester is probably putting together a package uh, to roll out soon to start drawing folks in. I'm sure there will be a return on the investment. That's tremendous. Yeah, that's good. And if we did, in fact, run out of money for snow removal, it was well spent. Snow City, USA. Here we are. Is there skiing? We can have some skiing in Green Hill Park, maybe? We are number one. That's all that matters. We are the best. We're definitely the best. Um, do you want to talk about? you want to talk about food carts and casinos? Sure. Do you have it's any thoughts really... on these issues? So I feel like it's just I feel like it's just so many weeks have gone by since we've done a, a, a wrap up show like this, and so many issues are out there, including mm-hmm. issues that we've been talking about this show on this show for years. Issues that it will never go away, like dealing with brownfields, like whether or not we should crack down on hot dog vendors, um, like whether or not uh, we should, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh, conflate begging and hostile behavior and ban them both the iraq war so many issues long-standing issues let's talk about casinos and food carts you casinos yeah. first well sure the casino thing so um there's this brownfield sort of near kelly square this wyman gordon property, brownfield yeah. it's huge, been, huge parcel of land been vacant for a long time it has and now there's a guy who says i'm gonna i'm gonna solve that problem i'm gonna give you slot machines He's like, I'm going to build a, a hotel. I'm going to have some sort of slot machine facility near mm-hmm. the hotel, in the maybe in the building, mm-hmm. and we're going to just fix that sucker up and have something going on there. Yeah. Now, you seem like you probably are against this. <laughs> Why do I seem that? I don't know. Are you against this? Uh, it's a weird thing. So, yes, I am, but <laughs> good call. Um, I'm not against, like, gambling at all. I, I've, I've, been, I've said this before on the show. Like, I, I've pulled plenty of 16-hour shifts at a blackjack table. Like, I, okay. I enjoy gambling from time to time. I, I think the entire rollout across the Commonwealth for gambling has been flawed because you're essentially taking this like giant, these giant 
industries and just shoving them into a state where that industry doesn't exist and without so, the ability to actually gauge the tolerance for the industry. So there's going to be an impact, but you don't know what that impact is until after you're done construction. So we're getting like three casinos or something? Is that the idea? I believe that's the idea, and I'm not entirely sure if that figures in what the Wampanoags down in Taunton have just... So they're getting a casino too, but that's I believe that's a slightly separate package that they're just going to have like a rev share model with the state, mm-hmm. and, but then the state is going to be able to license out casinos throughout the rest of the state. What we're looking at, though, apparently is something slightly different where it won't be a full boat casino. They're mostly proposing a slot parlor. So no gaming tables, no high stakes poker or blackjack or whatnot. It'll just be slot machines um, and accessory business and hotel to go along with that. So a hotel, but then, so what, what, what is the, what is the impact of slot machines look like different than if we have like blackjack tables and stuff, fewer jobs? Um, Maybe fewer jobs, but I think, I think the the important thing to look at is like, so obviously gambling by nature are are games of chance, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole point. But like some games of chance, like say blackjack, right? There's actual math involved. And there's an argument to be made that like, if you actually know what you're doing, like you might actually be able to play the game, not just be shoveling money into a machine. I like, want to stop you. Oh wait, so you're are you going to argue that slot machines are not fair, and so we shouldn't have a slot machine hotel? In I'm not necessarily going to argue that they're not fair because the odds are typically clearly posted and mm-hmm. you know well maintained and governed. Right. But the odds are so terrible that if you're actually playing slot machines, like you're 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 really just doing yourself a giant disservice, right? I mean, there right. is there is zero point to playing a slot machine and Gam- i know there's plenty of people watching addiction. this now who are saying oh come on i won 500 bucks on a slot machine just last week in mohegan right. sun and that was after you dumped fifteen thousand dollars over the last 10 years right. into the same sure. machines yeah, yeah the odds are are, are are awful but there also tend to be some of the more attractive um you know aspects of a casino because of all the blinky lights and you know loud noises lemons. and whatnot uh, there's lots of lemons and other you know colorful objects but i think ultimately the problem isn't something coming to Worcester because there's probably a good way to incorporate gaming into the city of Worcester if it was well thought out. The problem that I have is I, you know, it's, I I think of the Kelly square area as it's two things, right? I mean, it's, it's one, it's a solidly working class neighborhood, right? Where I think you'd make an argument that a lot of people are paying rent as opposed to owning. So it's probably on this, the lower end of working, uh, of working class, like the lower end of of middle class, Mm -hmm. a lot of, I'm sure a lot of families struggling and whatnot. And then you get the other side of the city, uh, other side of Kelly square where, you know, it's kind of up and coming and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it seems to have a direction unto itself, like a, that a lot of folks that live down there don't necessarily like where, you know, things seem to be, there's a lot of development and whatnot going on. And it just strikes me as, as taking a slot parlor where you know right out of the gate there's zero return, right? I mean, it's your, your odds of actually being successful of doing other, anything other than being slightly entertained are close to zero. Um, I can't see the outcome being much different than, say, like Atlantic City in like the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. where you're just taking an area that's already relatively depressed but has a ton of potential and then inserting something into it that really doesn't bring any benefits to the immediate area. I don't know. I just I just don't see an upside there. I I think see like what Worcester. about what about the argument that we wouldn't have a giant vacant lot, and that people should be allowed to open businesses. That's a great argument, uh, and I agree. And if, but I think that actually speaks to what I was initially getting at. Whereas we're taking these these massive um, businesses and just shoehorning them into cities and towns where. Uh, there's no tolerance or no no known tolerance for those industries. I've actually always been a big fan of what the What do you idea. mean by tolerance for the industry? Well, so like if I asked you like, okay, Mike, what is the tolerance in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts or Worcester for gambling before like you, you get to the point where the industry is more destructive than it is positive? Because there, there is a good argument to be made that 
uh, gaming could be positive. There's mm-hmm. there's revenue coming in and whatnot. But at what point in time does it become a negative where it's actually sucking okay. more out of the community so, than it's, it's so let me so in. let me let me then see if I can restate your argument and see, tell me if this is what you're saying. What you're saying is that this isn't like we're this isn't like this has been going on all along. Right. This isn't like it's going to start small and we're going to see how it goes. This is, is like yes. we are going to drop this massive thing into the city center of the city yeah. and will it be good will it be bad will we like to have a little bit less of it will we like to change it around a little bit how it works too bad we just drop this once bomb. it's there it's there and you're not going to shut it down it's something right. that you can't reel back in i've always been a big fan of the idea that you know we actually have game gaming in worcester right i mean we've got sports books all over the place if you want to place a bet on something like a, a sporting event or who the next pope's going to be it's not gonna be hard to find somebody who can place that bet for you mm-hmm. i've always liked the idea of like why wouldn't you allow those now black market bookmakers to go uh, above board open up brick and mortars and actually get a feel for what the tolerance for gaming is like how many how many active gamblers are in the city of why don't we do this that's a great question well be, arguably that you, you wouldn't do that because there isn't a lot of money for government in that is there video poker in Worcester? Uh, there is not. No. Do you know this? Do you, do I, ever, I tell, ever tell you that, how they do this in West Virginia? No. This is like the weirdest thing. They did this all of a sudden one summer. One summer I come back to West Virginia. West Virginia is where I'm from. I come back to West Virginia, and suddenly I see that there are a lot of cafes everywhere, mm-hmm. like a lot of independent coffee shops everywhere, and also a lot of fraternal organizations like the, the, the Brotherhood of Orioles or whatever, some Elks group. They, they passed a law that said that if you were certain kinds of restaurants, I think, or something, could have a video poker machine, and certain fraternal organizations could mm-hmm. have a video poker machine. So a ton of fraternal organizations, like the Owls sure. or the Orioles or whatever, there is actually a Brotherhood of Orioles near where my parents live. Um, like, they basically were like, well, we have this <clears throat> tiny little group that's semi-moribund, but now we're going to, like, some dude is going to license that from us, build a thing, kick us some money so we can like have our meetings and have a little mm-hmm. a separate little facility. And then a ton of people open these cafes. Like all these things have blacked out windows and whatever. And they're just these video poker parlors. Right. But they're none of them in my experience are very huge. They're just sort of sp- spread around. I don't think people are super excited by them, but I also don't think that they've been like a devastating thing. I think the parallel up here for, for what you're describing would be the way Keynote was introduced into bars and restaurants. Uh, right. So you're able to play the lottery in real time. And there's, right. we probably could have thought that through here uh, in, in this context as well for introducing some forms of gaming that were actually run directly through the lottery system mm-hmm. as opposed to independent entities that are uh, private industries. And that's something that I hope the city and, and other communities are thinking about too is that you know, we have uh, one of the, if not the most successful lottery in the country. Uh, and there has to be at some point an impact on that lottery if you're introducing massive amounts of gaming right. alongside that. The upside to the lottery, even though, again, the return is abysmal, uh, is that that revenue then translates to local aid. Uh, and the cities and towns are getting money back as a result of their uh, people in the community playing the, that lottery. Right. In, in this context, you now just have massive amounts of money arguably getting pulled out of the lottery and instead getting funneled into private companies that have no real uh, interest in improving uh the local revenue streams in the community. Do people ever talk about privatizing the lottery? Um, I don't know that that conversation like, has ever come just, up. I mean, why don't we have? Why don't we just sell lottery licenses? 
why don't we sell a lottery license? And say you have to kick back well, whatever, same amount of money to You know, I think if you go back on a long enough timeline and you look at what, what allowed the lottery to come into existence in Massachusetts, it was that originally that stream of funds, that revenue, was all directed at, like, cultural institutions. It was going to, like, the peak program that mm-hmm. allowed kids in elementary schools to get out into, you know, art institutions and whatnot for extracurricular activities. It actually, it, it paid, uh, you know, it paid a significant return on the investment, um, by funneling money back into communities in, mm-hmm. in, in meaningful ways. And that continues to a certain extent now. I mean, the money's been chipped away at over time, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the revenue still uh, flows back into the communities. I don't think we're going to see the same thing here. And, you know, the argument the, the argument against that is going to be, well, you've got casinos all around us now, right? I mean, uh, Connecticut has a few, whatever. Mm-hmm. People are going there anyway. Yes. Connecticut has the largest casino in the actu- country or something, right? Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be in competition, right? I mean, I, I think there's a better argument that gaming is probably on a downturn, uh, not uh, a booming industry. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Vegas, which is like all about gaming, uh, now the, 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 the draw, the real moneymaker is uh, in entertainment. Right, all um, this other stuff. And the gaming is just, it, it's, that's the lead. You know, I mean, that, that's the, the, the point of sale purchase that gets, you know, some more revenue flowing in and whatnot, but that's reinvested into higher stakes entertainment that then brings in a bigger draw long term. So what is the, what is, I guess here, I guess whenever I think about this, people like trying to, trying to manage these brownfields this way, I just think about the Southwester Industrial Park mm-hmm. where... There's all kinds of crazy stuff in the background here. I'm sorry. If any of it is, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Um, the Southwestern Industrial Park, where like, I mean, you know, like famously a couple of years ago, one of the people adjacent to the Southwestern Industrial Park wanted to like take, get some of the land there, buy some of the land from the city and expand his businesses into, into that land. And the city was like, no, there's these people who want to open this industrial periwinkle factory. I'm not even kidding you there, which ended up completely following, falling through. But that's just like more brownfield that's been sitting vacant. That rather than just saying like, if you want some of this land and you're the high bidder, you get this land. Because that was a thing too. The people across the street were going to pay more money. The periwinkle people were going to pay a dollar and open this giant thing. And the people across the street were going to pay like tens of thousands of dollars and open a small thing. I guess I just feel like I don't know how much I trust the city to like manage this kind of economic development. Like I'm not saying that the city is incompetent or dumb. I get I do have like a certain free market bias on this sure. though, which says like if a guy wants to come in and clean up a brownfield and put a building there. Awesome. Go for it. And if game, gaming falls apart, then we have a hotel downtown. I don't know. We could turn hotels into I other things. I'm not concerned about the gaming falling apart. I'm more concerned about the neighborhood falling apart and the impact on a residential, a densely populated residential neighborhood uh, mm-hmm. and what effects uh, you know a giant casino would have on that neighborhood. Hmm. I, you know, just interesting footnote. Uh, hopefully it's interesting anyways, but the, when you talk about South Worcester Industrial Park, the Periwinkle people, uh, Pharmasphere, mm-hmm. uh, they are, once they moved out of Worcester, uh, they, they then very quickly became a medical marijuana LLC. Yeah. And they are now the largest uh, privately held company uh, developing uh, both edible and uh, botanical uses for medical marijuana in the pharmaceutical industry. So we actually could have had, it, it, had we kept them here just a little bit longer, Worcester, instead of San Diego, could be one of the primary hubs for cultivation of medical marijuana if they had their way. I feel like the city council would do anything to that I don't think Connie Moss would have been appreciative of that at all. She would have rather the periwinkles. Well, anyway, I don't know. I don't have an answer for end gaming, though. Here's my thing. I feel like this I feel like this gaming is probably a problem. I feel like the fact that we've, like, I don't know, the fact that we've, like, made it illegal in such a weird way for such a long time, and now we legalize it in these strange, awkward ways is a huge problem. I also feel like this vacant lot is a huge problem. I don't know. I want to see I want to see flexibility around this idea. I want to see work. I, you know, because, like, the news reports about this 
my take on them has basically been that the city is like hell no to this casino guy and that it hasn't been like there's probably a way to do this there probably is a way to do it yeah no but that hasn't been the reaction i've seen from the city and and while i i think you're right in that something needs to happen to that brownfield i I don't think we should be short-sighted in the sense that this is the only thing that could happen to that brownfield i'm sure if we got uh, enough smart people together we could come up with a lot of potential uses for a brownfield uh that you know could could uh maybe come to fruition uh, it doesn't just have to be a slot parlor. And that said, we do have industrial areas of the city where you probably could develop a slot parlor mm-hmm. and have uh, a negligible in- impact on existing neighborhoods. Well, let's do it. That's all I'm saying. I hope I hope we can make this happen. I don't know. Thanks for thanks for educating me on that too, because I don't I know that much about. I probably tell you nothing. I don't. If you taught me a lot, because I don't know that much about this stuff. Um, I want to talk about panhandling and the Pope and food carts. All three, actually. Um, but boy. I just we just spent half the show talking about, about slot that. machines. I didn't think we would do that. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I want to talk about panhandling, even though it sort of doesn't fit in here and it's sort of weird. I'm just going to read the. I, I wrote this some stuff down. People have sometimes said that whenever I read stuff that I write down, it's better than me ranting. And I, I just want to read this. I should start doing that. Thing, yeah. Well, hopefully this will be quick. Um, I just got back from a couple of weeks in a city in the Horn of Africa, and being panhandled hundreds of times in combination with a few jet lag nights there has clarified my thinking on the panhandling issue in Worcester. Worcester's anti-panhandling efforts are, in the big picture, small potatoes. The libertarian in me dislikes the sloppiness of the laws because they technically prohibit all sorts of very common behavior. And the libertarian in me also agrees with City Councilor Connie Lukes, who said in one of the committee hearings that this law was probably going to change nothing. The do-gooder in me uh, dislikes these laws because I think that they risk continuing a trend of hostility to the poor in Worcester. Um, reasonable people can disagree whether or not there is such a trend. Uh, saying this is a trend is a little bit like saying this is a slippery slope in that these kinds of arguments, I think, tend to fit on a gut feeling of seeing a pattern um, more than anything else. And uh, I do sometimes make these kinds of arguments, but I can be as skeptical as anyone. For example, when some people said that the traffic safety part of this anti-panhandling crackdown, it's not about traffic safety, it's about uh, hassling a bunch of bums. I didn't really buy that. But in recent weeks, we have seen the police arrest bums for violating the traffic safety laws while ignoring people who are violating the traffic safety laws as civil disobedience. So I am uh, rethinking my skepticism of that argument. But anyway, what really bugs me here is not so much the possible vilification of the poor as the shoddiness of the process at every step. I was ready to just go up there and speak for a minute at a committee hearing and then say the city council is going to do what the city council is going to do. But, you know, at the end of that first hearing, I discovered that one of the city councilors who voted for the ordinance had not read the ordinance, was unfamiliar with the ordinance. And that really energized me on this. I think we've seen similar kinds of over-the-top screw-ups at every stage in the process. And so it's kept me energized through all of this. Um, uh, And again, if you want to say, like, worrying about the details of the city council is boring, like, I'm not going to argue with you with you about that. Uh, you know, I totally respect that point of view. And anyway, I just wanted to say this, or I just wanted to write this down to remind myself to not worry and to be happy. Because the important part of this, which regards compassion and connecting with strangers, is more about a civic atmosphere than anything else. And I actually think that things like the civil disobedience where people panhandled, you know, in a high-profile way to push back against this, I think that's exactly the right kind of response. I mean, that's fighting atmosphere with atmosphere. I think that that's actually probably... Uh, a lot more productive on that angle than lawsuits or getting wrapped up in the civic process on this thing. And as far as the civic process and the screw-ups there, 
I think that probably my conclusion actually should be to be impressed because the city of Council, pro- city of Worcester, probably does a million things correctly every day. And presumably people are dropping the ball even worse than people have dropped the ball in this panhandling thing behind the scenes every day. And yet the city goes forward. So all I have to say is, like, good job to everybody in the city who's keeping it together. That's my panhandling comment. I got nothing to add, man. I think it's a little bit of an embarrassment, and uh, leave it at that. I don't know. I got two. Actually, I got two, two follow-ups. One is that actually, like, there were some arrests. There were, have been four arrests um, over the past week or so of people violating the panhandling ordinance. And these are, like, actual bums, not, like civil disobedience people um some of them have just been like high and wandering in traffic and one of them is doing something else um and so i think it is possible and and anecdotally that there is like an there's been an increase in calls of against panhandlers like calls to the police um and so i don't think that we as a city track anything closely enough that we could ever really say beyond a shadow of a doubt that like this anti-panhandling stuff has helped or been productive unless there's a massive change i don't think that we track anything relevant closely enough but um if you are like a business owner or you have you have some awareness of this and you have anecdotal stories about how this has helped or not helped you should contact us at pie and copy at gmail.com we'll get you on the show or we can just take your comment and we can you know keep you anonymous um because i would just love to hear stories about whether or not it helps um because i could totally be wrong about that all and i also you know i also got to say like i don't know it frustrates me that there's like there's libertarians in worcester uh, in part, I know this because they oftentimes uh, have contacted us and told us how much they love this show. Surprisingly enough, people do think this is a libertarian show. I'm frustrated that I don't know where, I don't, that they're not politically active on this level, though. Like, I don't see people like speaking out against the panhandling thing. I don't know. I don't. I, I would be stunned if anybody came in front of the city council and said, "You know what? People should be allowed to buy this brownfield and build a casino because that is like how America should work." Mm-hmm. I would be stunned if anybody stood up for that at a city council meeting. I would be stunned if on this hot dog thing, hopefully on this hot dog thing, people will make that argument. Um, can I ask you about hot dogs? Any brand in particular? Well, so apparently, so you'll remember if you watched this show that we complained a whole lot whenever the city of Worcester decided to crack down on hot dog vendors. The basic, the basic argument here being that um, if you are paying all the fees involved with you know, renting or buying a building and then running a restaurant out of the building, you deserve protectionism. You deserve protection from the city. The city needs, the city needs to help you build a moat around uh, that. And that um, despite the fact that a lot of people apparently would rather just buy a quick hot dog on the street and walk out, uh, like serving customers is not the priority here. The priority is protecting so-called brick and mortar restaurants. I find this complete this argument completely ludicrous. Like I feel like we need diversity. I feel that like people have should have diversity of choice. Um, some people have said, well, there's like less whatever. There's less, you know, uh, whatever. Well, people who run a restaurant have to pay for this. People who you know run a cart on the street don't have to pay for this. How's that fair? I don't know. Like if you want to screw around with like what the, the ins and the outs of grease traps and things and make sure that people who are on the cart or running a food cart are paying their fair share. I think that's fine, mm-hmm. but I don't hear people saying like we should make sure people running a food cart should pay their fair share. I hear people saying, like, we, you know, we have a restaurant and we need to be protected from any competition, and the only competition that we can effectively organize against is hot dog vendors. So let's crack down on those. Yeah. Anyway, some city councilors have recently said that we've seen some enough changes in the city council, and the kinds of decisions that the city council makes on these issues are not covered governed by any grand strategy by the city council they're just sort of whatever so when enough city councilors change 
you this the whatever shifts to something else and now people think maybe there's enough city councilors who actually think it's okay for you to buy a hot dog in the city of Worcester up the street that maybe we should remove some of these these uh, regulations um, so this is apparently going to be an issue again yeah well and, and I think it's important too to point out that we're not just talking hot dogs right because that that I think is is part of where we did ourselves a disservice framing the conversation the first time around some of them are soy dogs well no but I mean like I eat at food trucks almost every day of the week in Boston yes. uh, as where I work right yes. I mean that's my lunch every day and yes. I'm eating like gourmet grilled cheese sandwiches uh, made of like braised short rib that's shredded and then like mm-hmm. you know grilled with like really nice cheeses and whatnot yeah. um, eating banh mi sandwiches that are like handmade and whatnot and like right. really nice rice bowls from uh, various Korean food trucks and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the barbecue is always lovely that comes in from from other areas and what have you. I mean, like the options are limitless, and most of those businesses probably could be successful brick and mortars. But the and I think this is where the argument kind of starts to get circular and self defeating. Um, you know what the folks against the food carts are saying is, well, it's so expensive to start a brick and mortar, we can't risk damaging those brick and mortars. But partly. That is true only because of the fees that have been assigned to brick and mortars that oftentimes don't make sense themselves. Like mm. you mentioned grease traps. Well, there are plenty of restaurants in the city of Worcester that they, they have grease traps. They paid whatever, 20 grand to get them in, uh, and they're barely used. Like when, the, when they come to be cleaned out, there's no grease in them because they, they're making a kind of styles of food that don't collect massive amounts of grease, right? Mm. So those are our businesses that were hit with these, this essentially a massive tax or a fee uh, that don't actually need to be paying that fee to run their their business right but if we're going to frame the argument around well it's not fair to the businesses that had to pay this fee well no it's actually not you can you could take that argument even further and say well the restaurants that aren't polluting you know uh, our sewer system with massive amounts of grease from fryerators mm-hmm. uh they shouldn't be paying the 20 grand that the pizza place that maybe has uh a, you know is taking lower profits but has a higher profit margin uh and is selling you know again you know, like massive amounts of fried food Maybe their fee should be higher, mm-hmm. and maybe like the vegetarian restaurant that's you know is just selling whatever foods that aren't deep fried all the time right. shouldn't be paying as much. Like it's a much bigger argument than than just food trucks are going to come in and, and destroy uh, our, our way of life in Worcester. It's that we're looking at uh, an entire series of taxes and fees that don't make any sense. Period. Even for the brick and mortars, and the brick and mortars shouldn't be fighting food carts. They should be fighting the city for they be forcing fighting them- each other each other the city i mean actually just taking a look at the fee structures that are out there that just don't make any sense for anybody mm-hmm. but if at the end of the day if we're going to live in a city that is i think we, we try to convince ourselves that we're supposed to be business friendly even though i just gave a long talk about you know keeping casinos out, out of kelly square but i mean we, we like to argue that we're business friendly and yet we, we we have honed in on this one form of business that is actually accessible to many people that would otherwise not be able to start their own business. Mm-hmm. What could possibly be the downside of that? And I, you know, I mean, maybe there's an argument to be made, like theoretically, that you know there would be an impact to existing brick and mortars. But again, Boston's been doing this for a solid. I think it's been three years now. They've had the food trucks out on the, on the street year round. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to imagine the city of Boston by now has enough data where somebody in the city council could actually get in touch with somebody in the mayor's office and say, hey, what impact have you seen on brick and mortars? Well, And I, the answer would probably be none. We've seen more restaurants open up in the same time frame that the food trucks have been on the street. You know street. what? I don't even care. I don't even care about that. You know what I care about? But again, I, care about people, I care about people getting what they want. Like if we need, if people say, you know what, we have too many brick and mortar restaurants, that if we get rid of 10 brick and mortar restaurants and got 150 food carts, yes. 
that everybody would be served better. If people vote that way with their dollars, let's do that. Let's make that happen. Like, be a business owner. Be an entrepreneur. Like, yeah. risk your business failing. It drives me crazy. I don't know. Well, it, yes. I mean, if we lived in a world where everything was fair and made sense and people actually worked uh, logically, that would be the case. But if we're now going to make an argument that this can't happen because it will destroy something, when we've got cities very close by that seem to have figured out how to make it work, this is one of those cases where we probably should be looking outside our own borders and saying, well, what are they doing that allows this to happen? Like, why is the seaport area, downtown Boston, the financial district, growing by leaps and bounds, yet it has this component to it that doesn't seem to be having an impact on, uh, you know, sister businesses, the, the brick and mortars and, and, and whatnot. I, it just seems as though that we're, 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 we're intentionally ignoring for once in our history what other people are doing uh, to see how it can work as, as opposed to just writing it off. Let me tell you this. In the same way that Worcester is a leader in snowfall, I want us to be a leader in street vendors. I want us to be a leader in economic development. I want us to be a e- leader in entrepreneurship. Well, you it know, can happen. And that's probably what we should be asking ourselves, too. Like, If, if, you're, if you're hearing from business owners on Shrewsbury Street uh, or other uh, densely populated areas where they're uh, densely... Uh, restaurant areas that are densely populated with restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the question then is, well, what, do we even need food trucks down there? Like, if maybe Shrewsbury Street doesn't need food trucks. Maybe where we need food trucks is just like downtown Boston is like during lunch hour, like down around the Comet, where people are actually working, right. or or you know along main, different parts yeah. of Main Street, where where there are lots of people who just want to walk out of their office and get something to eat. I, again, I feel like this is an area where we don't need a lot of this like micromanagement by the government, though. I feel like this is an area where people can buy their hamburger and their hot dog where they want to and well, sure. things will sort themselves out and the food trucks will go where people want to go and people will open restaurants where people want to go and sit down it's freaking cold half the time but that's where i think here start- all winter long you don't have to compete with the food truck that's where i think you start getting into an awkward sort of argument where we're running like, out of time well what if someone just decided to come on to your front yard and say well i'm gonna put up a tent here and live here now like you might personally not have a problem with that but some people would i'm not and saying I, i'm not saying that but that there that should be one of the things that boston has actually done well is that they have areas that have been identified to i have, have to cut you off because we have no time i'm sorry done will you forgive me i'll forgive you i'll come back next week all right. I hope you'll forgive us too. We'll talk to you guys next you week. You didn't get any We'll COVID. calm down. Bye bye.